Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode of Cavs a Podcast is brought to you by our fundraising drive for this year, which is going to be PreciousOnesMinistries.org. We're sponsoring a Save the School Foundation for a school in Uganda that uh, has 200 students and 10 teachers that the head of the school actually pays salaries out of her own pocket. So we're going to try and get this school up and running and funded for at least the full year. So if you ever had any desire to give back to Cavs the podcast or compensate us for the time or entertainment over the years, uh, please consider giving to to Ministries. PreciousOnesMinistries.org, and the link is going to be in all the attached uh, literature on the site as well as the different uh, podcast streaming sites. So please consider donating. Uh, We're presenting this episode commercial-free and really important to me. My cousin uh, is the American liaison for fundraising for this school, and it's a labor of love. Nobody makes any money at it. and literally 100% of what you give will go to people who really, really need it. So please consider donating. I'll also say that anybody who donates at least $50 will get a swanky T-shirt that I'm going to come up with and design uh, celebrating this year, the Cavs. Um, or even in any one of our past T-shirts, if you'd still like one. Um, so, yeah. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast, my friends. I've got Chris Francis and Elijah Kim. We are 50% Korean on this podcast um, and 100% awesome. Uh, as i got my That's boys right. Eli Kim and Chris Francis here. Unfortunately, Chris Lydon wanted to be with us, but uh, he had some audio difficulties, so he's not going to be able to join us, but we'll try and get him on the, on the come up. On the next one, I, I don't know. I'm trying to sound hip and cool, and it's just not working because I'm, I'm just peak dad right here. So anyway, hey, no, lean in further to it. Yeah, I'm I'm de- I'm channeling 2009 Macklemore. So, <laughs> but absolutely, self awareness is key, right here. <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, super excited to have you guys. It's been what about ten days since the Cavs were. Uh, drummed out of the playoffs by uh, the Atlanta Hawks, who were summarily gentlemen swept by the Miami Heat. I don't know how much of that game you caught tonight, but it certainly appeared that Miami was far and away the better team than Atlanta. And everything that I thought about Atlanta, that they were total frauds, uh, was true. Uh, in any uh, contrarian takes from either of you there? Oh, 
I, I think for me, for Miami is the question is how far do we think where they're going? I'm, I'm scared. I, I think they can, I think they got a cakewalk to the final uh, conference finals. I don't know about what you guys think. So what's the next round for them? It's the winner of Philly. Four uh, and five. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I, it certainly, fe- honestly, I feel like Toronto would be a harder matchup for them. Ooh, that's spicy. I mean, but tell me what you were telling me while we were off the air about what Miami was doing tonight. <laughs> oh well, well Miami was load managing. <laughs> they were they it, the tonight's game starred uh, our friend uh, Victor Oladipo, oh. a longtime I guess uh, uh, Cavs. Uh, what Men- could have been Dan Gilman's lost love? Yeah, or is, is that what it is? That what the what'd you say? I don't remember. Uh, d- was it Dan Gilbert who wanted Oladipo over Anthony Bennett? Uh, so and, and Nate Smith. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, the, this this uh, blog was roundly against the Anthony Bennett pick, so I feel like we were on the right side of history there. So. Hey, yeah, won that war. <laughs> <laughs> Lost the battle, won the war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah so I mean, they were load managing. Like, I mean, come on. Like, they that's how pathetic Atlanta was, is that they got a freaking playoff team load managing against them and still got beat. Still yeah, got they beat. had Butler and Lowry, Lowry on yep. the bench. I mean, exactly. and started Oladipo. That's pretty pathetic. And and I think anybody who watched Game Four and watched a lot of the Game Fours in the NBA, uh, there was some pretty fishy officiating with forty plus free throws for uh, the visiting teams. And wow, Memphis up one hundred nine, one hundred six on the Grizzlies, which is with about six seconds left. So, wow. How about I you told you, mine. As soon as as soon as Cat hushed the crowd, it was over. They were going to lose. <laughs> it was over. I I don't know why you can't just act like you've been there before, but because he hasn't been there before. Yeah, he's learning. He'll never hush again. I guarantee it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah, it's been a get, fun playoff get, so far. I mean, I think we all so. Chris Francis, you want to take your victory lap around the uh, the Brooklyn Nets right now? Well, well, for, before I wanted to hear Eli's Miami take. I wanted to see where he stood on the Miami issue here. Honestly, I think it was more about Atlanta than Miami. I think I'm going to side with Nate. I think the officiating, if they officiated Trey Young like this this whole year, they would have been a 10 seed in a normal NBA year. And I think that's where they ended up. So. They got lucky because at the end of the year, they let Trey Young kind of run all over the place and draw fouls. And it was frustrating because we, the Cavs, received the, the blunt end of that in the play in um, where it all kind of culminated at the end. But um, I think Miami is pretty scary. But to you know, lead up to your victory lap around both of us, because I think we, me and Nate, both picked the Nets to win. I think the Ooh. Celtics look really scary. I I'm actually Ooh. terrified of their very wing centric team, and they got Robert Williams back now. So I think Boston is also equally as scary now in the East for sure. So here's the question: Is uh, 
is has President Stevens found his calling as a uh, oh wow mini just tied it up three point seven it's one oh nine oh who hit yeah. it who who hit it oh who do you think oh if Cap. you had a guy that absolutely had to hit a clutch oh. three who was it oh I'd pick Ant but it was I mean, Ant it was Ant that guy is gonna. I mean, they freaking nailed that draft pick. I'll give them that. Like, I feel like Ant is what we all thought best earth Dion Waiters was going to be. Ooh. Ooh. And, and honestly, that's a little bit of an insult to Ant. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> he's just, like, he's so good. He is, honestly, the guy who reminds me of, is just kind of crazy, is like, Best Earth Isaiah Ryder. Ooh. Uh, just a guy who's absolutely an athletic specimen, can absolutely shoot the lights out. If you've ever played Isaiah Ryder in the original NBA Jam, it's a blast. <laughs> so that that's what the ant experience is like for Minnesota fans. And well, to I'm be, excited to be fair, Nate, I remember you were pretty you said Ant was a very boomer bust guy and and he's been boom he's been boom yeah and i don't know do you remember my take on wiseman like i was i was pretty much on the same boat with wiseman and boy that just has panned out like a led zeppelin for uh for the warriors so yeah it sucks that it's canceled out by the diamond in the rough jordan pool you know well which just goes to show you you can't waste those late round draft picks right. on, on guys like Dylan Windler. Ooh, burr. <laughs> Got his ass. I mean, who'd they pass on? Jared Vanderbilt and Jordan Poole for that pick, right? Yeah, Holy they passed shit. on Poole for sure. Sorry, yeah. I just, Memphis, I don't know if I'm ahead of you. I hope I'm not spoiling stuff, but. No, I ja, just to. Ja, Ja Rule. <laughs> did he do it? He did he it. Yeah. 111-109. Good for oh, Memphis, oh man. That's oh a hell goodness. of a series. I'm excited. That series is going seven. I don't think anybody is doubting that. Oh, it's what a been finish. one of the best series. Yeah. That's a, that was a Kyrie-esque, like vintage Kyrie finish. Wow. Wow. That was yeah, nice. Wow. Jaw beating the fraud charges. There's been a lot of people on his butt for the lack of scoring. Yeah, well, he just had a sick lefty finger roll to finish that. So, good for Ja, man. No, those it's are two, those are two great teams. Oh I, yeah, they're no, so, it's fun so, so fun they're to so watch. So fun to watch. So fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. I feel like both those teams are going to be around for a while. It, uh, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. Yeah, and how about the Pels? How about uh, Northeast Ohio representing with CJ McCollum and um, and Larry Nance fuck freaking balling out for the Pels. I'm a potty mouth so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, McCollum and uh, well, and also just Brandon Ingram is becoming a star in this series for sure too. He's well, just been unstoppable. And- and that lineup with where they got Valanciunas at the five and uh, Jackson at the four, it actually reminds me a lot of the Cavs, um, you know, big lineup. Except, except they got a six eleven guy in Ingram who is super long, but can just he's like it's like they're running the Cavs lineup with a super scoring three. <laughs> yeah, you know what I, I mean. 
No, I, I totally agree. Actually, that's what kind of, I think, keyed their second half of the season in part oh, yeah. was discovering Jackson Hayes at the four was really like giving him a boost of, I mean, yeah. Jackson Hayes, super athletic, super long defensive dog, you know, like, and, uh, and it's, but he's like one he's of these having, bigs that's rangy enough to yeah, switch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, definitely. I mean, his athleticism is off the, I mean, it's off the charts. Like his dad was a, I know him well, actually, because I think he's a Cincinnati kid. As far as I know, I'm going off memory here, but um, his dad was a coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. And his mom, I think, was a big time college athlete or professional athlete or Olympic athlete or something. So he's just, you know, he was born on third base athletically, you know. Nice. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, kinda- and of course, I remember uh, Evil Genius not a fan when he played for the Lakers, but he was also about six nine and about uh, about one hundred and forty pounds at six nine, and he's definitely filled out, gotten a lot of muscle. You know, it's really funny because, of course, a lot of people thought that they were going to build their team around Brand, um, Zion Williamson, but it's sure looking right now like um, Brandon Ingram is the absolute guy to build around. And of course that Lakers trade is looking not so smart right now. So do you guys trade Zion? Would you guys, I, trade I think Zion? you think about it. I mean, if they get a, the problem is, is I don't think anybody's going to get an offer, give him an offer until he proves he's healthy. I think it's a lot more likely to see that at next year's trade deadline than it is this year. Or this well, I think season. I think the interesting thing about Zion that hasn't really been talked about except for one podcast that I can't recall off the top of my head, but I think his qualifying offer is technically like not the full like $11 million because he doesn't have the the games played or the minutes played. So it'll be really interesting to see if the Pels try to take advantage of that and give him the, like are able to give him the Has lower he, qualifying Is this offer. his, has he played four seasons already or played has he been in the league four seasons already? This next year is his fourth. He's the same year as Garland. Oh, okay. So, okay. He technically can't – he could sign an extension, but he's still on his rookie contract the next year. Correct. Yeah, and that's really interesting. Like, do the Pels try and sign him to one of those deals like uh, Philly did for, uh, you know – um Embiid when he was hurt a lot as a rookie or, you know, what do they do? I mean, I, I, I think there's, it's so weird because I mean, there's weird reports. There was reports that, uh, he, there was somehow reports during these playoffs that he was like being held back by the organization that the organ, like he wants to play in the playoffs and they're not allowing him saying he's not, uh, not, uh, conditioned well enough uh to well i mean if you're the organization and you see him showing up with a bag of krispy creams every day like (laughs) how do you let him play when he's such a valuable asset to your organization i i i totally see where they're coming from oh no i totally agree too uh and just there's a risk there you know dropping in a guy in the playoffs but uh yeah, I mean, like to me, I think they'll. I think they're forced to keep him. I think they're forced to offer him the max and just keep him because, like, how else is? Do they the offer release? him the five year max? Yeah, I mean, what what can I, I just? 
Go I ahead. think you yeah. play it out. I think you see next year if he's in shape. If he doesn't play 50% of the games next year, his qualifying offer goes from $17 million to $7 million. And then, what? holy crap. yeah, there's a starter quali- qualifier now for those kind of deals. So if that's the case and next year he comes out of shape and he still can't play, maybe you force him to not play 41 games. And I, this is, this isn't all my idea. This is just some cynical take I heard on another podcast. Um, but you force him to only play less than 41 games or less. You make him, you know, he has to sign the qualifying offer. And then you basically get a year and a half of him playing, but two full years before you have to bite the bullet on matching a full map offer on him. That's kind of what I think the Pelicans should do. I think it'd be smart to do that, given he's only played like, what, a full season in three and a half, almost four years of being in the league. So Yeah, I think he's played like well, only 100 games, right? To me, it'd be one thing if it was all the injury stuff, but the bigger issue to me is that He's um he hasn't been able to keep his weight down. And that's contributed to some of the injuries. And that has gotta be a concern if you're, you know, NBA champion David Griffin, um, with the way you manage right. that team. So I don't <laughs> yeah, know. It's gonna sure. it's gonna be interesting for sure. I mean I'm 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 happy for New Orleans. I'm happy uh for the way they've turned that team around. Um, I'm happy for CJ McCollum, who's probably one of probably my favorite non cav in the league right now, now that the Rudy Gobert experiment is looking like a disaster in Utah right now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm super excited uh to see what that team can do and and Lotta in Northeast Ohio down in uh, Phoenix right now because Allie LaForce is there too. So, <laughs> as I see hey. her on the TV, yeah, she's uh, she's not repping Spitzer anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, and we're with that. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Just a reminder that this episode of Cavs Podcast is brought to you by Precious Ones Ministries. Our Save the School Drive. Uh, go to PreciousOnesMinistries.org or click on the Cavs, the blog link to the donation page or click on the link on wherever you find uh, this podcast. And anybody who donates at least $50, I'll make sure you get a sweet T-shirt. And uh, yeah, these kids need this uh, probably more than anybody you could ever donate to any charity going to go straight to the school, straight toward uh, paying teachers and keeping the school open and offering a better life for a lot of kids who need it. So that's why we're sponsoring it. And that's why uh, you should donate. And if we ever did anything to make you happy at Cavs, the blog, please consider donating. And as always, go Cavs and go save the school and Precious Ones Ministries. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. I'm here I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with uh, Chris Francis and Chris Lydon. Um, and unfortunately, uh, sorry, not Chris Lydon, Chris Francis and Elijah Kim. And unfortunately, Chris Lydon couldn't be joining us tonight. He's got some uh, tech difficulties. But uh, but we're going to carry on. Um, you know, I think the big story, if you're a Cavs fan, is the way that the Cavs kind of getting shut out of the postseason awards this year. 
after we really all kind of thought that Evan Mobley was the front runner for rookie of the year. Um, but that award went to Scotty Barnes. And of course, the most improved player that we thought Darius Garland had a real good shot at. Uh, it looks like it's going to, um, well, not looks like it's gone to uh, Ja Morant. And of course, he sent his most improved trophy over to Desmond Bain. So shows you how much uh, he valued that, but also how much he valued his teammate. Um, I don't know. I'm of the opinion that I'm actually happy that Evan Mobley did not get Rookie of the Year, and I'm happy that Darius Garland did not get most improved because I really think it's about the perception of the Cavs around the league, and the Cavs choked away some games they should have won, uh, especially the Detroit and the uh, Orlando games down the stretch. And uh, the Houston game before the All-Star break. And if they win those games, they're the sixth seed. And I absolutely think Evan Mobley is Rookie of the Year for them. So I want them to feel the hate. Feel that Scotty Barnes hate. I also think the other issue is it's a wings league. And Evan Mobley is not a wing. And he doesn't have a wing skill set right now. And Scotty Barnes does. And scoring is king in the NBA. So... Uh, while the advanced stats for Evan Mobley may be better, uh, Scotty Barnes got it. So uh, I want I want that I want them to wear that like uh, stripes across their back in a way. Just let them fuel it. Let it be a brick on, brick on your shoulder. I don't know. I I think honestly it's probably deserved with the way that uh, Toronto stepped up and made the playoffs and is been playing really well and Cleveland didn't so yeah that's that's where I'm going with it is I don't think it's necessarily a perception thing I think legitimately Scotty Barnes was a 50-50 shot to begin with to win I mean he was legitimately good enough to win uh and and like you said with the with the team success you know then especially when you had specifically Toronto and Cleveland fighting for that sixth seed and fifth seed you know and them winning out you know I think and, and him being a big part of their success, you know, he was in the starting lineup all year, um, playing a big role for them. So, you know, I think it was just, he was legitimately a 50, 50 shot that won the, the jaw thing is I, you know, I made a comment in, with the commentariat. Um, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, he was r- rookie of the year and a top pick, like that's just a star becoming a star. It's not. Yeah. He was the number two pick. Yeah. So it, I'm, I'm, you know, like other people, you know, shout out to NBA Twitter chat, uh, group chat. But, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, it, it should go to a guy who's like marginal or kind of people thought sucked, you know, and then did something awesome. You know, now, you know, th- that would be the Darius Garland's, the Jordan Pools, the Desmond. You know, I don't know about Desmond Bain. I mean, people kind of like him, but I mean, maybe even. No, I, I think he absolutely had a, had a legit case for it, but yeah. So it was just weird that how anybody else, but jaw would have made sense, but they just chose jaw. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's fine. I think actually because of, I, I think Darius Garland can get it next year. If he, if he plays like an NBA MVP, um, which jaw did for portions of this season, you, you could look at Darius Garland next year. So, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Uh, I don't know. What about you, Eli? What's your, what's your take on the whole thing? I know you're not 
super thrilled with it. Yeah, I think I think this is a year where they could have made the case for co rookie of the year because it was the closest vote in a long time. I, I'm with and, you. Ooh. And I think the thing that really rankled my feather is more than him Evan Mobley losing was the fact that Jalen Green got a second place vote, and I'm pretty sure that ballot also did not have Mobley in their top three. Yeah, um, and um, for rookie of the year. Uh, do you know who that was? Was it some no. Bush League reporter out of Houston? Yeah, it's going to it's going to come out soon, but it's not public knowledge right now. Um, but it that probably is more that's actually more upsetting to me personally because I don't know how it, it's okay if Mobley's second. I get it. No, I'm but, with you. Like, but not but being on a ballot—that's ridiculous. Being fourth or the fourth best rookie in anyone's eyes for this season is yeah. just—I mean—absolutely unacceptable as a voter. And, and <laughs> yeah. the fact that that's who determines these kind of awards in itself is just also something that just are there contract? Uh, is there any contract uh, ramifications for these awards? Uh, I don't think not for, for these. Year. No, the only ones are all stars and all NBA. Okay, yeah, and the defensive player of the year, I think, right? Yeah, okay. Some okay. of them do, okay. I think, but yeah. Um, okay. But that being said, I mean Scotty Barnes. I just we always joke that was a player that I really loved <laughs> in this draft and vindication. Obviously, the Cavs were fourth. It would have been my top choice as a player to be picked. So, um, yeah, I think it was well deserved. And you know, just just be let's just call it how it is. Toronto ended up being the fifth seed in a very loaded Eastern Conference. So, yeah. you kind of have to reward that, and I think that's what the voters did. So you can't fault the voting body as a whole for making that choice at the end. No, I'm with you. I I 100 percent agree. Well said, sir. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's, you know, that, excuse me, the Cavs kind of fade down the stretch. Definitely a disappointment to all of us. Um, I think the losing to Atlanta was especially hard because of what we saw from Trey Young. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Eli, and we've all kind of seen it. The way the NBA has gone this year is. The officials, the officiating has made itself far too much a part of the story. I mean, we saw, er, I, I don't think there's anybody that doubts that early in the season, the reduced number of foul calls definitely helped the Cavaliers and their more defensive oriented team structure. And then there was just all of a sudden a market shift to calling a lot more fouls. And I've heard a lot of explanations about it. One of them was that. There was a complaint from the Players Association that a lot of players were not going to be able to hit their contract incentives. Um, I've heard that, you know, the scoring was down a little bit. To me, it was the best product I'd seen from the NBA um, in years because I don't pay to watch free throw contests. And it was super disappointing to see the NBA kind of reverse a lot of the stuff we saw at the beginning of the season with the, you know, the rule of verticality and not rewarding guys for just throwing themselves into defenders. Um, And I think that was one of the things that worked against the Cavs. But also, I think J.B. Bickerstaff got exposed a little bit. Um, 
I see these playoffs that are happening now and, you know, the teams that beat the Cavs uh, down the stretch, the Nets and the um, Hawks, you know, have won one game out of the uh, eight games they played or nine games they played. So I have a hard time feeling like the Cavs could have competed remotely in these playoffs. Um, and part of that being on JB Bickerstaff and part of that being on kind of that, some of the Cavs roster issues. So I don't know, Eli, what, it, what do you think about all that? I know I just said a giant word salad, but. No, I kind of agree with that. I think JB did get a little bit exposed and I think he, he is a player's coach. I think the players definitely play hard for him and don't quit on him. But in the same breath, I think that's kind of his weakness. He kind of, leans on them too much and you know that's why Rondo's playing even though he's atrocious that's why Lamar Stevens who kills it in practice was getting minutes over Dean Wade for a lot of the year um, that's why you know Okoro when he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn is still playing um, because he you know believes in these in these guys which is great but I think there are times where he just didn't make simple adjustments um, like you know, staggering Levert and Garland more, um, maybe playing uh, different lineups to take advantage of mismatches. Um, so it's it's just interesting that um, I think he's a great motivator and the guys love playing for him. But I do think as the year went on, he didn't adjust the game. He didn't put Garland in more situations to draw a ton of fouls like everyone else is getting called for it. So. I do agree with you to some degree that he definitely didn't take advantage of that as the season was winding down. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll pick a piggyback off of you guys and say that I think one of the biggest indictments against JB, you know, especially coming down to the end of the stretch here and in some of the end of season comments and everything, you know, foreshadowing a little bit, is just uh, a coro, you know. The there was comments made by Kobe Altman, you know, in the presser about getting Okoro on the ball more and how Okoro scored more when he was on the ball and did some nice things last year, you know, when he was playing point guard for uh, Sexton and Garland, you know, at the end of the season. But we didn't see any adjustment from JB, especially post Rubio injury. You know, like it was just... Uh, a, a clown car of backup point guards that we were trying to, you know, fit into the, you know, in, in this playoff run, you know, with him mainly choosing Rondo, as you guys mentioned, you know, which was the worst option out of all the options that he had <laughs> for most of the time. So uh, it was just weird that, uh, you know, it, it's funny that there's a bit of a disconnect, in my opinion, between, uh uh, some of Kobe's call, Kobe Altman's comments at the end of the season presser versus how JB was conducting himself as a coach. Um, you want? I I have to apologize. I disconnected for a minute there. Did you yeah. kind of explain that before you said the disconnect there? Do you want to expound on that a little more? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I well, I guess I can. Yeah, I mean, the one well, one of the interesting things that was mentioned in, in our intrepid reporting by Adam Cathcart, you know, in his re- most recent article on CTB was um, the lack of a mention. Uh, Kobe Altman did an hour long press conference with selected media. And did not mention the name Rajon Rondo or Brandon Goodwin once. 
well, that's in a whole hour, yeah. <laughs> in a whole hour of worth, worth of talking. And so, uh, yet, yet we all saw how much JB Bickerstaff relied on Brandon Goodwin and uh, earlier, more Brandon Goodwin earlier when he was really rolling uh, at post COVID uh, wave. Um, and then more Rondo, you know, obviously at the end of the year to disastrous results for the bench, you know, uh, every which way. And, uh, you know, and, and they don't need, their names aren't even mentioned, you know, uh, by the, by the GM or the president of basketball operations. So, well, it's and just kind of who, weird. who was the guy that was mentioned more than anybody else? Oh, Sexton. I mean, right? well, no, I mean, no, 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 no. Ricky Rubio. Oh, right. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And to me, like, you know, I'm to me. The guy, the Cavs lost their offensive coordinator when Ricky Rubio left. Right, right. I mean, no, absolutely. That was my whole take on the whole thing was, you know, Ricky Rubio was not only when he was on the court, but when he was, you know, on the bench, uh, was their offensive coordinator. And I think they relied on him. I mean, you saw the product on an off the court, their out-of-bounds plays got worse. Their offense got worse. The pace at which they ran got worse. As a team, whether or not he was on or off the court, across the board, it got worse when he got hurt and then when he left the team. So Yeah, it was, it was mean, a catastrophic fall for the To Cavs, me, poster, you know, it's, sure. a, it's a twofold thing. One – Ricky Rubio absolutely has the ability to be a head coach in the NBA someday. Um, and two, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, as you have mentioned multiple times, was the straw that stirred the drink for Cleveland. This is just a friendly reminder that this episode of Cavs, a podcast is sponsored by precious ones, ministries.org and our drive to save the school in Uganda and please uh, click on any of the appropriate links or go directly to preciousonesministries.org and donate and help us save a school in Uganda that needs our help. So go Cats. Now we're back. Welcome back to Cats Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Elijah Kim and Chris Francis. Um, and we're talking Cavs. We're talking about how you know, Kobe Altman's narrative doesn't quite fit J.B. Bickerstaff's narrative. Um, to me, I feel like the Cavs got to make some coaching staff changes um, and get an offensive coordinator or really look to diversify the offense and get better at game planning from game to game because that, to me, is where they've really seemed unprepared. Um and also, you know, I've mentioned this. Uh, one of the things the Cavs desperately need to get better at is inventory, or I'm sorry, injury and load management as a team because they have, I, I really feel like Ricky, Will, Ricky Rubio, Ricky Williams, what am I thinking? Ricky Rubio, uh, his injury can be directly tied to him playing too many minutes and exhaustion. And the Cavs have got to get better at managing load and managing injuries, which has been a disaster the last three seasons. Um, until they do that, um, I think they're going to be running into these issues every single year. Um, 
And that's where I think the Cavs probably need to make the biggest change as an organization. I don't know. If there was two things that you think the Cavs need to do in terms of their homework for next season, I mean, obviously, you know, drafting better players or grabbing better players is is a part of that equation. But if there's two things, uh, Chris Francis, what do you think those are? I mean, no, it's hard to disagree with you, at least in, in definitely in terms of I don't know what the heck is going on with load management in the minutes. I mean, that, that's that been a big gripe of mine in, in terms of what we saw clearly, at least in my opinion, from Mobley, maybe to a lesser extent from Garland. Like it's hard to hard to put Garland in that, but you could say his defense may have fallen off a little bit at the end there, but you know, uh, Mobley, Mobley played like 34 minutes a game this season. Um, that's two more minutes per game than I think Djokovic and or not Djokovic, uh, Jokic. Uh, I got a tennis brain for a second there. Uh, Jokic and uh, um, there was another big that I uh, like Bam Adebayo. Like the comparable bigs, uh, the, the, the star bigs in this game aren't playing 34 minutes a game. You know, and I, I think we saw, we definitely saw Mobley hit the rookie wall. We saw a definite, a precipitous decline of his defense at the end of the year. Um, uh, I think that he showed, I, I think he was definitely tired mentally because he was just making mistakes at the end of the year that he definitely was not making at the beginning of the year, you know, jumping on pump fakes and, you know, uh, just silly little things like that, that he's, obviously elite at so you know load management definitely up there i mean it like they just have to bite the bullet and like sit guys out have a rotation of guys that sit out for a night you know and and kind of like bust up these these four and fives and these five and sevens and they just got to find a way to rest uh, have a, a rotation of rest for these top guys you know and, and learn and give other guys a chance to you know you know uh, uh, win a role, you know, uh, uh, Eli mentioned, uh, Dean Wade earlier and I, I couldn't agree more with Eli on that front. Like, you know, that guy, you, that guy should have been a rotation player, you know, and, and needed the chance to do to show that. And so, uh, yeah, so load management is definitely one. And, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm good with coaching changes if they haven't, I think coaches, you know, easy come, easy go type deal for me. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's said that the offense, I mean, there was a marginal improvement in the offense and Garland, and it was pretty much because Garland took the leap, you know, and, and there was nothing, there was nothing there after Rubio for certain, for certain. So I don't know if it's personnel, I don't know if it's scheme, but we, you know, I think they were. 20th or 21st or I don't know where they ended up in offensive efficiency this season but you know it was average at best uh and and it was a lot better obviously with Rubio so um I don't know chicken or the egg thing there with personnel versus scheme but uh you know something's got to change on the offensive end for sure all right I'll hop in here um well, actually, I think it's ironic you talk about offense coordinator because JB said that he doesn't think they need need one of those uh, in that presser. Kobe, Kobe. So, oh, Kobe yeah. did. Sorry, and I think that's that'd be a mistake um, for sure because the reason the Cavs' offense was 
better was because Garland was so elite. And that became their offense. It was just give Garland the ball and let him do what he needs to do to get us all going. So I'm not sure that's a sustainable plan. And if there is load management, the Cavs did it wrong because my recollection of load management was what they did with Garland around the all-star break. They like sat him for games that they could have won. And then they like try to bring him back against teams that like the Cavs had, you know, they were underdogs against. And in my mind, it's like, why don't you play him against Detroit, play him against Houston, play him against uh, those teams try to get those wins, and then the games you probably will lose anyway, like against Philly after the Harden trade, um, against the Bucks. So why don't you sit them for those, um, and then you could, you know, basically give yourself a higher probability of securing wins in games that you have a better chance of. But for some reason, it was mysterious to all of us. They, like, sat Garland, Again, like around the All-Star break, and granted, they probably wanted him to play in the game, but they sat him against the Pistons and the Rockets, which just made no sense, and the Cavs lost Nate, both of those games. Nate, you going to say it? You going to say it, Nate? Well, I'm going to say, you know, <laughs> the All-Star game was the Cavs playoffs. They were gearing their entire season around showing out for the All-Star game, and that was what they were geared towards. And, you know, they I, I, I don't think anybody who looks at it objectively with the way the Cavs manage their season and the way they, you know, sat Garland before the All-Star game and then sat him after the All-Star game can deny that analysis. It's, you know, the All-Star game was their playoffs. This was Dan Gilbert's one shining moment. Um, of of wow. the showcase showcase for Cleveland, the showcase for Cavs, and you know what? I don't have a problem with it actually because the Cavs aren't at the point where they can realistically compete for a title. So why not do that? Why not? Uh, you know, kind of show out for the regular season, but I think. Uh, you certainly can't do that again. It's kind of like a one-time thing you can do because it's the Cavs. Yeah, now there's expectations. Now there's expectations, exactly. And, I mean, they're just, they've got to actually perform now. And, you know, I think this is kind of their one pass. They had a winning season. Uh, they looked really good at times, and they looked really bad at times. Um, I, if I'm, you know, JB Bickerstaff, I'm a little bit scared of the um, expectations at this point. I are are you? If you're JB Bickerstaff, you know, Chris? Oh no! I mean, he's he's. You can tell he's riding high. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any, he, he's, he's walking around with his chest puffed out after this season. You know? <laughs> okay. I mean, let's look, you know, that, that's just my opinion. I mean, I, I mean, not even just my opinion. That's a fact. I've seen him talk, you know, I've watched his, all his press conferences. So no, he, he's, a, he's, he feels like a big man on campus. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, any, you know, any, uh, the offensive coordinator I cannot see happening, you know, maybe it does. Who knows? I mean, but Kobe shot that down pretty good. And, and I would, I which would to me to is really not 
I mean, well, if you watch well, the Cavs, I mean, their offense was so rudimentary at times and then devolved into the same problems they had last season where they weren't shooting threes. That you're seeing guys get into their pet mid range shot where they're sitting shooting forty percent from the mid range. I mean, that's just well, the, inefficient I mean, offense in the NBA. You, the the thing about that though is that Kobe's answer was uh, he. I mean, it was a two parter. The he the reason why he shot it down was because of Rubio. He said Rubio's the answer. We lost Rubio and and that was the key. <laughs> it, that mattered. Or his, I, I mean, his, I his guess, was, but. Did the yeah, Cavs I, not have the opportunity to bring in more ball handlers, especially when Karis LeVert got hurt? I mean, I, I sat there and said, hey, they should go ahead and look at bringing in Dante Exum or another guard because, you know, Brandon Goodwin is not getting it done. And that's not a realistic long term solution like that to me is the biggest disappointment of the season that some rando from Cavs the blog can say, hey, this isn't going to work. And he's right about it. And <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, don't make claim- eight no, million I mean, a year like Kobe the, Altman. But but I mean, that kind of validates Kobe's point, which is that it's about personnel over scheme. Then, yeah. you know, and, Wait, and maybe we were- Kobe's point is that 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 guy wasn't walking through that door. You know, exactly. <laughs> no, no, that was absolutely his point is there was. But uh, but to 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 provide a counterpoint to that, you know, I feel like Derek Rowe or Derek White, you know, Derek White was apparently available. And well, so there, there's another caveat to that, because I've been on the Derek White train. You know, you know me, I'm I was all about. I'm all about expe- estimated plus minus, and Derek White was the king of that stat. But, you know, it was a young point guard in Romeo Langford, a first-round pick, and a future pick swap. That's a lot to give up. Um, but if the Cavs could have offered something similar, you know, maybe that makes sense. But the other side of that is, you know, why didn't you look at uh, Gordon from, you know— uh, Houston? Houston. Eric Gordon from Houston. Yeah, I mean, and 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 I've kind of gone been going back and forth with folks from Twitter around, you know, the Cavs desperately need guys who can actually play and hit three point shots. You know, they need spot up shooters, they need screen shooters, they need those guys, and I feel like a lot of people just think, oh, they can just go get one. No, these guys don't grow on trees. There's a reason they make twenty million a year. Or more because they're really hard to find. Um, and the Cavs don't seem to value that skill set. They seem to play a lot of tryhards like um, Lamar Stevens, who can't hit threes. And I, I, I don't know how you can do that in today's NBA. You've got to play guys who can shoot. I, I, I don't know what the answer is there, but, you know, get me some shooters. What about you, Eli? You've been awfully quiet over there. No, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I do think some of the personnel would cure the offense ailments, but I think that's Kobe also kind of CYAing it as well because, um, you know, he's in charge of putting this roster together. And after Rubio went down, it took a really, really freaking long time to get that backup guard or playmaker. 
And the playmaker they picked, they picked a guy who has injury history since the day he joined, entered the league in Karis LeVert. So to me, I just, um, I just think Kobe Altman sometimes thinks he's smarter than what he actually is. Um, and I, you know, I got to give him credit. The team did really well this year. And maybe his vision of seeing Laurie Markin at the three is something that worked out. And, you know, most, most of us didn't think it worked out, but, it's working. I didn't out think it worked out, and I loved it. So yeah, and in a well, but the thing well, is, be it's working. That, let's be clear on that point, real quick. Is that JB gets the credit for the big three idea? I don't think that was the yeah. Kobe thing. Yeah, but it works because guess what? You're adding a plus shooter. Um, to yeah, the right, right. And like, why don't with, with size that can shoot over the defense. <laughs> Yeah, and why don't the Cavs try to find a couple more of those guys? You know, like instead of playing Lamar Stevens, Okoro, and uh, Jared Allen and Mobley together, like four average to below average shooters. Like, come on, it's not that hard to find, not that hard to play lineups that are better than what you're putting out there. And that's that's where I get frustrated with um, with JB the most because I think when Wade was healthy. There was like a reluctance to play him. It was always like, let's play Lamar Stevens and let's play Isaac Accord together. And it's like, okay, but Mobley's already, you know, playing 40 minutes a night for you. You can't have three minus shooters out there and just be like, oh, I don't know why our offense is stagnant when Darius Garland's not playing. <laughs> oh, man, you just you just gave me nightmare flashbacks to Rondo, Okoro, and Stevens in the play-in. Like yeah, oh, that man. that what was, was brutal. Cooking? What was yeah, and and how did Chetty not play more in the play-in? It's like yeah, the the that try-hard was... lineups were really frustrating to watch. I mean, I mean, he has a clear bias towards defensive guys, and and it's just not gonna cut it. You know, uh, it, if they if they can't just the, they're not even willing shooters. You know, I mean. Akora wasn't even a willing shooter, you know, at the end of the day. You know, he was probably the most willing shooter, ironically, but yeah, it's not cutting it. Yeah. And, yeah, Okoro, and we've talked about Okoro a lot. And I, you know, I don't want to fall too far down that rabbit hole. Let's take a quick break and we'll talk, we'll come back and talk a little Ike Okoro. This is just a friendly reminder that this episode of Cavs of Podcast is sponsored by Precious Ones Ministries. Org and our drive to save the school in Uganda. And please uh, click on any of the appropriate links or go directly to preciousonesministries.org and donate and help us save a school in Uganda that needs our help. So go Cavs. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. Eli Kim was going to take us on a uh, Isaac Okoro uh, term paper here. So right on us, Eli. Icebox? Well, <laughs> like maybe if we're talking three pointers, sure. <laughs> um, I, you know, I I think Okoro does get a lot of blame for how the team has performed, especially down the stretch when they can't score. And I don't blame him personally. Like Chris said, I think he is the one guy that does shoot when he's open in the corner. And he did improve his shooting. I think he ended up being, what, 34, 35% for the year, which is an improvement. Yeah. Um, and. You know, was around forty percent after the All Star break. Yeah, and yeah. See, I'm okay with the Coro starting. I actually like it personally, but I just don't like what they do around him all the time. Like, 
if you're going to start, if you're going to play a Coro and Mobley, you cannot play Rondo as the playmaker. You cannot play Lamar Stevens as the player in between those guys. And that's how it exacerbates his weaknesses and makes him look even worse than what he actually is, in my opinion. So, that's a great point because he's his job is to attack the basket, you know, at the end of the day, and it, he has nowhere to attack if if everybody's collapsing in the paint. Yeah, and honestly, I, I this is not a perfect comparison, but to me, those Thunder teams with Durant, Harden, Westbrook, like what lineups were the best for those teams? It was the lineups with, um, you know, Harden initiating. Westbrook wasn't usually in it. And then they had, who was that not? Um, Roberson as their two, Durant and Serge Ibaka, who all, and all those guys could, they were average shooters or better. And it could hide Roberson from having to take and make a lot of threes because, and his defense impact really helped those lineups as well. So I think that Okoro can be a key piece for the Cavs, but the Cavs have to do him some favors by uh, spacing the floor for him when he's out there. And I don't think it's rocket science, to be honest. Like, I just think you have to play, you have to always play him with at least Garland and Markinen. Like, I just think that's a yeah, no brainer for and me. It's not the worst idea to play him with Garland, Markinen, and Chetty. Yeah, I don't right. think that's a bad idea either, especially if you, if the other team is really small. So it's just. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think we saw way too much of these non-shooting lineups for the Cavs this season. And to be fair, in the play-in, I kind of get what they're trying to do because you don't have Wade. Love, you really can't play him. You can't play Love and Mark in, it in that situation together. Um, so I kind of get, like, I'm not as upset, I guess, but I am more upset down the stretch when you're playing Rondo, Okoro, Stevens, Mobley, Allen. Like that lineup has no plus shooter on it. And what what do you expect to happen? They're not going to be able to run any offense. They can't they can't backdoor cut to death against an NBA defense. <laughs> like that works in high school, not in the pros. So I just think no, that I'm, I'm JB, with you. JB has to make better decisions in those situations. And I think it's shooting and playmaking again are the the most important needs for this cast team as they enter the offseason. Yeah, and it's it's a little bit goofy that we're here again in a wings league and yet the Cavs what's been the biggest problem with the Cavs is that their best wing is a seven foot big man. <laughs> um Nate, it, Nate, uh I yeah. hate to cut you off. You're quieter all of a sudden. I'm sorry, is that better? Yeah. Yeah, up, yep, yep, yep. Okay, so yep, what yep. I was saying was the Cavs' best wing is a seven-foot big man. Oh, 100%. You know, um, I, yeah, I to, don't know how to solve that problem. Yeah, to, to piggyback off of – here's some interesting stats and food for thought for you guys to piggyback off of Eli's point about playmaking and your point about shooting, uh, Nate, is that according to NBA.com stat tracker or whatever, whoever – uh, runs the stats for NBA.com. The Cavs are one of the worst pick and roll teams uh, for the handle uh, for the pick and roll ball handler. We are one of the worst teams in points per possession in pick and roll uh, offense in the league. 
bottom, bottom, wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So bottom 10 in the league in offensive efficiency out of the pick and roll. Well, and part of that is because they, they don't put good shooters in the corner at the wing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And that's where I was going to point to, which is spot up shooting. Spot up shooting, the Cavs are bottom five in the NBA in points per possession. So there's where your offensive problems are. We have no spot up shooting. We have very few guys who could run a pick and roll. So, you know, it kind of reinforces both of your guys' point about where are we at right now? We're at the point where we need some playmaking and we need some shooting. (laughs) Yeah, and and some of that's going to come organically. I think Evan Mobley will get to be a better shooter in the offseason, but I think it's a lot to ask to get him above 35% from three is a second-year big, and, you know, maybe Okoro improves, but, you know, I really think you've got to kind of look and see who you can bring in as a shooter, and kind of leads me to my next question. The cat, One of the Cavs' best shooters – um, is, is a little bit unplayable on defense, uh, at least in a playoff scenario. Um, and I'm going to ask you guys, do you think Kevin Love is on this Cavs roster uh, opening day uh, in October? Uh, and I'll, I'll kick it to you first, Dila. I think he is because I don't think the offers are going to be super overwhelming for him. Um, be, and... I, I mean, I really like Kevin Love. I think he had a great, great year this year for sure. I mean, there's no denying that. And I think, I think right now, I think he's kind of a regular season guy and he could be really good in the regular season, but I'm just not sure he can make a substantial impact in the, in the playoffs anymore because he just can't move laterally, um, that laterally well enough to stay in a game and provide some, uh, he can't provide enough offense to offset the defensive liability as I think in a playoff setting. But I'm, I think we had this discussion, like if there's a team that is willing to give up an, an asset or even help you swap out into a player who's more of a wing, but has a bad contract as well, I would still really consider it because I think, the Cavs have to look at avenues of, of adding to the wing or a more playable piece deeper in the season. So I, I'd i be happy if he was here, um, and I think he will be here. But that being said, I wouldn't not look around for potential avenues to get out. Sell high. What about you, Mr. Francis? Yeah, I mean it's hard to do, it's hard to disagree with anything Eli said there. I, I I totally agree pretty much all the way up and down is is that I think he's going to be around. I I would guess I would I would say that um I think that we did see some leadership qualities that we had all been hoping for this season went from him. Um I think that he he provided a bit of grit when the Cavs needed it uh, at points especially later in the season. Um, so, you know, because of, you know, I, you know, when we were having our little group chat, you know, I said, uh, he, he probably, he likely won't get moved because 
I think it's still a negative value contract if you want to be brutally honest about it in terms of the just the the, the, the raw data, the raw stats, you know, and all the stats that surround the whole, whole thing, especially about his defense. You know, no, I, I think you've got to find a sucker if that's going to happen. Right, right. I mean, and, the good news is there are suckers in the NBA. So Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I kind of value – I feel like he provides an intangible benefit of that, that playoff experience that, uh, you know, I, the playoffs – we're seeing it now. You know, the playoffs are a different animal and it just – having a guy like that, you know, where there's too few guys like that on our team that, that – uh, you know, has that, you know, dog in him, especially when the playoff intensity ramps up. Uh, just, you know, he, he's a physical player. He's willing to bang bodies. He's willing to give up his body. How many charges did he take this season? You know, uh, I think he, you know, I'm not sure if he led the league. He might have led the league. I don't know. Or he had to have been at least. No, he there. led the Cavs, but he didn't lead. He the led league. the Cavs. Okay. Yeah. There you go. He was near the top of the league, though. Yeah, yeah I think he was. He's probably yeah. in the top five. Yeah. So, you know, I just think there was and then there was that little story about him getting the boys together this offseason in Nashville, you know, for a little little workout, private workouts and stuff like that. So, you know, I just don't you know, my point, you know, to wrap it all up was that I don't think that there's anything really out there that we can get Kevin for. And I think the value he brings on the team is probably going to outweigh whatever, you know, bad contract or whatever. that we At, at least get. the regular season value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I guess he led the team in games played. <laughs> That's insane. So, yeah, that is really insane, isn't it though. <laughs> and good for Kev because clearly he was in shape. Clearly in the Olympics last summer, uh, he wasn't in shape yet. Uh, he he played to where he needed to be. I I will say the the problem with Kevin Love came from the fact that. Boy, it felt like when Kevin Love was dogging it, the whole team was dogging it. And you saw it in those games that they really needed to win, that they just didn't compete in. Uh, the big one being, you know, those Orlando and Detroit games down the stretch. Um, you know, Kevin Love needed to play harder, needed to kind of show a commitment to defense in those games and clearly didn't. Um so uh, that's where I'm a little bit disappointed, but I, I'm with you guys. I think he's gonna he would be a very difficult uh, contract to move unless you just straight put him in a contract for matching salary and attach a lot of assets with it to try to get a star. Um, but I think we've talked about a lot this a lot on the email thread is if you're the Cavs, I don't know if you can put. If you can move Kevin Love and put him in a bad situation, unless you know the team on the other end is going to buy him out and let him find a playoff situation, because that's a pretty crappy way to treat a guy who's been, you know, your franchise centerpiece for the last four seasons was basically the guy you signed after LeBron left and one of the few, you know, big free agency coups that you had as an organization uh, for a team for an organization that doesn't typically get free agents um, I, I think that's difficult to make that call so um, yeah I think odds are Kat, uh, Kevin Love is is a Cavalier you know next season and with that uh, we'll be right back 
Welcome back to Cavs a Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with Elijah Kim, and I'm here with Chris Francis. And we kind of just went over the Kevin Love. Is he going to be a Cavalet next year or not? And I think we all pretty much came to the conclusion that odds are good that Kevin Love is going to be a Cavalier at least next fall. Um, and then the next question is, to me, is uh, Colin Sexton going to be a Cavalier next fall? And one of the things that's really interesting about that discussion is that there's a guy that has filled in for Luka Doncic for the Mavericks uh, named Jalen Brunson uh, that uh, has, was averaging with Doncic out over 30 points a game for the Dallas Mavericks. And you know, before the playoffs rolled around, the idea was that, you know, he was going to get 20 to 25 million a year. To me, uh, Jalen Brunson's floor is 24 million and his ceiling is probably around 30 million. I feel like Jalen Brunson has made himself a lot of money this offseason. And I'm interested, Eli, what you think that means for Colin Sexton's kind of off-season uh, restricted free agency prospects. Because uh, I feel like one informs the other a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're both undersized, score-first guards. So they have a – they're not identical, I guess, in their archetypes. But I would say that Brunson has proven it on a bigger stage now, right? So – Brunson getting 20 to 25 million per year is definitely a possibility, probably a likelihood at this point. And I'm sure Rich Paul is chomping at the bit, putting together these in 2020 to 2021. Look at the stats Colin Sexton put up versus the stats Jalen Brunson put together, but you're getting the better player now, you know? So I think Sexton thinks he is probably worth $20 million a year. That's kind of what the reports have been showing. But I don't think there's a team out there that's going to touch anywhere near that number. And interesting enough, I think Chris Fedor said that the Cavs are likely looking more closer to the Bogdanovich money, which was four years, $72 million. So I'm hoping... If there is an extension, it's closer to that than 20 or 25. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a huge Brunson fan. I was kind of hoping he was a dark horse candidate that the Cavs would maybe trade for at the deadline and kind of solve the Sexton conundrum because Sexton theoretically does fit next to Donkic pretty well. Um, but I, I'm just not – I'm not. I was. It was really curious to me that how much they talked about Colin Sexton at the presser, and it does sound like with every indication he is coming back for the fall. So I'm begrudgingly going to say he will be a Cavalier in the fall, and it would not be if it were my choice. Uh, Mr. Francis, you got a rebuttal to that? Yeah, I or mean, or a you know a, a follow up. <laughs> I guess I, I not I, a rebuttal necessarily. No, no, no. As foremost Sexton hater, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, the thing about Sexton for me is that, and uh, with the Jalen thing is, yeah, like at the end of the day, it's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to say Sexton's anywhere near that level. I mean, like to me, I'm not even comfortable at 472. I'm 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 kind of flinching at that. 
You know what I mean? Because I just, for one thing, okay, so the soapbox I'll have for this is that the COVID years were fake. Those are fake numbers. They don't apply. No fans were there. Nothing about that applies. It's all fake. It was all an illusion. It was all an illusion. So you're saying, what, 2019, 2020, 2021? Yep, yep. Just throw it out. Throw it out for evaluation purposes, in my opinion. Yeah, it it doesn't count. Doesn't count. So, you know, I'm that's where I'm at. So I don't buy those numbers. You know, Colin Sexton was, you know, great for let's be real. The the season was he was great for about a month. He was great for about a month. And then he he just went downward. And so, uh, you know, for me, like the thing of it is, is that I'm on the opposite spectrum where I don't want to trade or do anything with Sexton because they're never going to get fair value. (laughs) I mean, they're just not going to. They're just not going to. I can't see a move out there where it's going to, you know, work out. You know, and they're gonna they're gonna actually get something back. You know, um, who the Cavs? Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather roll the <laughs> dice on Sexton's on, upside. On, you'd rather roll the dice on those uh, COVID numbers not being a fraud. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yes, that's what I. Yes, ironically, dichotomous. uh, Yes, yes. Take. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that gives me hope is going back. You know, going back to the Fedor uh, Fedor um, articles about uh, the off season and also the press conferences is that there's now. You know, I take basically if Fedor said it, I'm assuming that Kobe said it to him. You know, let's just get that out. No. Yeah. I I I think that's pretty fair assessment because it feels like. Yeah. Fedor is very plugged into the Cavs front office. He is. Yeah. He feels like the mouthpiece for the Cavs. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like that's fair to say. And with him coming out and saying that they are considering that they that he's been told that the Cavs are considering moving Sexton to the bench, I'm finally intrigued by Sexton. You know, this is something I've been screaming about for a long time uh pretty much since garland's been on the scene for this team is i've always been a garland guy i've always been sexton's holding him back i feel like that's been vindicated through this season you know that's why i'm also good with keeping a coro i think eli made a great point earlier about keeping a coro because i think a coro being in the lineup allowed uh garland to shine you know because because uh you know a coro is willing to play a role he's not a me 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 guy who needs his buckets or whatever so, um, you, you know, so for me, the intrigue about Colin Sexton is, you know, this guy could really cook off the bench. You know, that would be sweet. Like I could see Colin Sexton being a six man for a very good team, a, a playoff team, a title contending team, maybe even, you know, like I, I think that's intriguing. And, you know, and, and I don't want to sell low, you know, while he's been injured and had a crappy season. So that's kind of where I'm at with Sexton. I'm with you a little bit. I mean, my big thing is see what's out there. See what other teams will offer you. I I don't think you can underestimate how stupid some of the other teams in the NBA are right now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. Like... The Kings the, have done a number on everybody. In, in no, the, the Halliburton the trade. <laughs> the Halliburton trade to me is one of the stupidest trades I've seen in the last ten years. And then you add on top of that just the imbecilic Nets trade, where they dumped Harden for uh, a guy who 
<laughs> literally doesn't have literally is like on the Royce White level of player confidence of to not be able to play in an NBA game in Ben Simmons yet is making almost what's his contract almost 40 million um, oh yeah oh yeah he's due like 160 billion over the next four years or something I mean yeah, his, that his to me is like in? why in God's name would you trade for that guy I mean it, it just there are some really really stupid NBA teams right now that I don't think there's any trade or contract out there that is too dumb for a team to take on. So, you know, if you can convince some team that Sexton is the answer, you can get a really good player for it. I think, hey, go for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't know. Cuban, Cuban, make the move. Brunson for Sexton, sign no, and trade. Cuban, Cuban, if there's one thing about Cuban, when a guy proves it in the playoffs, Cuban loves him and he overpays him. So, except when it's Sean Marion and they win a championship. So, I don't know. I just talked myself out of that opinion. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, it, it should be interesting, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like they can't so is not he on the team next season or not. Who, Saxon? Yeah. Oh, it's 50-50 to me. If, if somebody out there gives them a like, oh, I got to go get this guy. The, or a guy becomes available that Sexton can move, you can move Sexton for, I think you absolutely do it. But the other side of that is the Cavs, the, the Cavs are kind of clutch as bitch at this point. <laughs> I mean, with Ooh. the way they're Ooh. running that team. Um, and, uh, you know, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton and, you know, LeBron for years. I, I a little bit feel like they're to the Cavs what the CAA is to the Knicks. So maybe that's part of it. So I I don't know. I, I think it's 60-40 is still a cabinet. We placed our bets with the wrong agency. Yeah, I I don't know. It's going to be a wild offseason. I think there's going to be a lot more activity this offseason than people think there will be. Um, I don't know. What What about you, Eli? Do you think if you had to put a percentage on it, what's the percentage uh, Sexton's back? I think it's 75 to 80%. Yeah, nice. What about you, Chris? 100%. Oh, woo. going strong. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, it, interesting. I I think the other side of that discussion is that the Cavs aren't a free agency destination and you got a guy you drafted who wants to be here. Um, it's hard not to reward that. So, you know, and, you know, something came up today that I was talking about on Twitter is, you know, you look at the way the Kyrie Irving situation worked out when he was the first guy the Cavs drafted after the LeBrocalypse. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, the decision and how, you know, you look at how he handled that situation versus, you know, this complete, just baffling enigma of a human being that Kyrie Irving is. In some ways, you really got to hand it to Colin Sexton. He is comported himself like an absolute professional in Cleveland, has said and done all the right things, has never been a problem off the court. Uh, I think that actually goes a long way with the organization. 
So, oh, that's a great point, Nate. No, what I think is emerging, especially from the comments from Kobe's presser, is that there's some non-negotiables with the Cavs organization, and I think the non-negotiables are they want long-term commitments, they want guys who want to be here, and they want guys who are about basketball. You know, those are the three. It seems like there's non-negotiables. With those three things is that they want guys who want to be in since or in Cleveland. They want guys that are long, like are, that want to be here long term, and they want guys who're going to work. So I think those are non negotiables, and I think, uh, and even Kobe alluded to it that Colin Sexton embodies all of that. Like that was the, that was the reason why he was the choice uh, was because he had those intangibles, he had those characteristics. Uh, of his mindset, you know, and personality that that were that that uh, convinced the Cavs to take a chance on him. Take a chance on me. Sorry. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Channeling a little uh, a little over there. No, I, I think that's really good stuff. And um, I think when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, the next set of players that we think the Cavs might target as as the next level of guys um, or guy that uh, that fits that mold of the Cavs non-negotiables. So we'll be right back. Just a reminder that this episode of Cavs Podcast is brought to you by Precious Ones Ministries, our Save the School Drive. Uh, go to preciousonesministries.org or click on the Cavs, the blog link to the donation page or click on the link on wherever you find uh, this podcast. And anybody who donates at least $50, I'll make sure you get a sweet T-shirt. And uh, yeah, these kids need this uh, probably more than anybody you could ever donate to any charity going to go straight to the school, straight toward uh, paying teachers and keeping the school open and offering a better life for a lot of kids who need it. So that's why we're sponsoring it. And that's why uh, you should donate. And if we ever did anything to make you happy at Cavs, the blog, please consider donating. And as always, go Cavs and go save the school and Precious Ones Ministries. Welcome back to Cavs podcast. Nate Smith with Elijah Kim and Chris Francis. Um. We were just talking about uh, the Cavs. Uh, what did you call them? Their their non negotiables. Yes. Yeah. And and so the Cavs unexpectedly, I think, to a lot of people, when you watch the Cavs at the trade deadline, um, have their own draft pick this season. Um, I'm going to start with you, Chris Francis. Do you think they keep that draft pick, or do they? Um, Draft that player and then trade him. Yeah. I'll start there. Yes. uh, Great question. And I'll go out on a limb and say, I think they keep it. I think they keep it. The reason being, I think that with highly likely the 14th pick, obviously top four, there's a chance. I think there's like a 4% chance or something. Two and a half, I believe. Yeah. uh, 14th pick. I honestly think that's kind of the sweet spot in this draft. You know, that's that's how this draft is shaping up is I think that there are a lot of options for the Cavs at the 14th pick that just seem to be, you know, I to me what I've said is that this is uh, the sweet spot of this draft is picks 11 through 20. 
I think that's where the value is going to be had. I think there's going to be some guys that get drafted in that range that are going to be very good, you know, and I, I think it's less clear at the top. I think it's less clear that the top 10 uh, in, in the prospects there, other than, you know, I'm, I'm you know, uh, I'm very high on Jabari Smith and uh, Powell Boncaro. I think there it's a two person draft. Those are the two guys. And then there's a lot of freaking questions after, you know, and well, some people say Chet, but I, I, I consider him a question mark. Uh, I think three through 10, there's a lot of question marks and a lot of guys who don't look necessarily as enticing as the guys that you might want to take a chance on at 11 to 20. So for that reason, I think, I think the Cavs are probably going to keep it because I think they're really in a, in a position of strength uh, as far as the draft goes. If there's a draft season that this season reminds me of, it's actually um, 2013, uh, which was we were talking about earlier, the year the Cavs had Anthony Bennett. And like you just talked about, there was a lot of guys at the top of the draft that had a lot of question marks and a lot of the guys in the top 10 that had a lot of question marks. But boy, was there a lot of value in the teens. And, you know, <laughs> you saw 10, CJ McCollum, 11, Michael Carter-Williams, 12, Stephen Adams, Kelly Olynyk, uh, Of course, wow. Shabazz, Shabazz Muhammad didn't pan out. But then 15, Giannis, uh, 17, Dennis Schroeder. Um, of course, 19, Sergei Karasev, where the Cavs <laughs> passed on my boy Rudy Gobert. Uh, and then in the 20s, you got Tony Snell, Gorgie Dang, Mason Plumley, Solomon Hill, Tim Hardaway Jr., NBA players there. Reggie that, Bullock, and Andre Roberson, and Rudy Gobert. I mean, that is a really deep draft of guys that are still playing in the league. Eight years later, later I would say about 50% of those guys in the top uh top 28. So yeah, uh, I, I think I like this that. draft is going to be deeper than people think, but it's definitely teams that scout well and teams that identify somebody with a lot of raw potential or someone that fits their uh, organization are definitely the ones that are going to reap the rewards here. So who are some of the guys that you like at that 14th pick? And if the Cavs, do somehow make a jump into the top four. Who would you like? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you, Chris. Just you, you've been the most vocal, and then and <laughs> right. then Eli can tell you why you're wrong and why your draft philosophy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I've been using the consensus draft board, so it's it's the, an aggregation of uh, like basically. I mean, it's a ton, 150. 150 boards of mocks uh, all across the internet. So, um, and it was updated actually just yesterday. So in the 11 to 20 range, you know, and, and, uh, Eli chime in, you know, at the top of the, at the top of number 11 is Dyson Daniels. It's a guy that I know Eli and I have had conversations with and we both like, um, he's, a he actually played in the Rising Stars game. So, uh, so with, position in school because I'm so oh, out of the loop. So he was G League. He was a, he was a G League uh, ignite uh, guy. So came right into. He's from I believe Australia. If I'm not mistaken, is that correct, Eli? Uh, he's an Australian guy. He's Aussie. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's a guard. He's a con he's considered a combo guard, um, and he. 
you know, the thing about him for me is that I, we saw him play in the Rising Stars game with uh, Okoro and Evan Mobley. And as you all know, they won the game. So, uh, uh, you know, and he definitely, uh, he was definitely a guy who stood out, uh, among the, the, the rising stars, if you will. Uh, so, and, and he's a, I, I think, you know, Eli can, uh, talk about him more, but he's a guy that I really like. And I, in at 11, I think he's gotta be the, he's probably the guy you wish that's going to fall to you. Interesting. And I, and I think, you know, you look at the success of the recent Aussies in the NBA, you look at, uh, you know, Josh Giddy last year, and I think a little bit you have to talk about uh, LaMelo Ball, who showed mm-hmm. out in the Aussie League. So I, I'm certainly intrigued. Yeah. And so at 12, we have Baylor wing, forward wing, uh, Jeremy Soshin. Uh, I don't know how if I pronounced that right. He's a young, uh, he's a young upside prospect, uh, and I how would do you assume spell that uh, Jeremy G A E R E M Y Soshin is C O or S O C H A N. So I, I actually know. looked into this. Um, it's yeah. Sohan is how they pronounce Sohan? it. Sohan. Oh my god! So the Sorry, S is the C. Sorry, the C. The C is uh, silent. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And, and what is his nationality? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I didn't even realize I mean, his that, name was... That does not sound like a... It sounds like a European name to me. Yeah, ooh, you were right. Yeah, he's Polish. Polish. So that's wild. We got ourselves a... We got our, yeah, we got ourselves another Euro there. So, um, And uh, with him, he's a definitely an upside wing. You know, like he's a guy... 6'9", 230, NBA-ready body. He's a freshman, only 19 years old, and he's a guy that's an upside swing. Um, 13 uh, is Mark Williams, a personal favorite of mine uh, from Duke, you know, a big guy uh, who really acquitted himself well against uh, prime competition. He outplayed um, he outplayed Chet Holmgren in their matchup early in the season. He was one of the stars of the NCAA tournament. And uh, he's parlaying his impressive performance, impressive year uh, uh, into a lottery draft pick. Uh, so, you know, uh, end of lottery draft pick. So and then and then with at 14, another guy who's been talking to uh, talk about a ton is O'Shea J.B. Sorry, of uh, Kansas, the national champions. And I think this guy's been talked about the most, especially from Chris Fedor, our intrepid reporter at uh, cleveland.com uh he's a guy who's not an upside guy he's a guy who's uh ready made you he's expected to be a rotation player immediately because he's a four-year guy he plays the wing he's a great shooter um he's got length he's 6'6 200 pounds he's got the nba body and uh you know he's a guy that i think what you envision for him is that he's a more polished finished product of what a coro is you know, he's a guy who's proven that he can shoot. So um, uh, there's I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. You want to know why? Why? Go ahead. Uh, so Dave Zavak, uh, formerly of Fear the Sword. Uh, and he said this when Dylan Windler come out, came out. 
don't draft old wings in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, um, and Dylan Windler has made me say, hey, he's right. No, that's totally fair. I think one thing that's been completely overrated with Oche, uh, Oche Ojabi is his defense. He's not a defensive player. He's not even, I don't, I, there, I don't get why there's even talk about him being a, a, a you know, a, some kind of lockdown type of guy in the same vein as what we expect a Coro to be. Um, he's not that guy. It, to me, he's more, um, Danny Green or, you know, uh, Danny Green or Kyle Korver is, is what I, maybe, maybe, uh, less accurate Kyle Korver type, you know, but, you know, a guy that's not afraid to shoot, but I'm not sure that there's any defensive upside with him, but, you know, he's proven that he can shoot in the clutch. So, um, but I, I don't know how uh, Eli feels, but that's that's the top four. That's that's just ahead. The, the, these are guys that could potentially fall, I think, or in the Cavs range that that could potentially fall. Eli, you want to uh, give me your guys? Yeah, I mean, I actually agree with a lot of these guys. I really like uh, Dyson Daniels because I think he has a lot of Josh Giddy in his game, and you know he's. Well, probably a little bit more athletic, but definitely lesser of a passer. And both aren't plus shooters yet, but they could be. I think their mechanics are solid. They just need the time and the touch. Um, I also really like Jeremy Sohan. He's actually my probably the leader in the clubhouse for me if, if he were there at 14 because he's a big body, has a lot of potential defensively, can guard pretty much one through five. I feel like he has the quickness to guard guards, but the size and length to guard bigs. And um, he played, he brought the ball up a lot for the Baylor team when he played. And he's kind of this modern big play initiator, which is exactly what the Cavs need. Now he's obviously not the number one overall pick because he's a bricklayer at the time currently. (laughs) Um, But I and obviously we talk a lot about shooting and that's obviously a little counterintuitive to my ranting earlier, but I feel like playmaking is clearly a close second um, for this Cavs team. And I think the Cavs identity is a defensive one. And he definitely adds to that as the Cavs, even though they cratered after at towards the end of the year, they still finished with the top five defensive defensive net rating. Um, in the NBA, which is pretty amazing to me considering how atrocious they've been for the last three, four years. Um, That's amazing for sure. Yeah. Another name I like, and this guy is probably going to be gone is uh, Mathurin out of Arizona. Um, He was the PAC 12 player of the year. He is a plus shooter, pretty good athlete. The kind of knock on him is he's not a good off the dribble playmaker at all. And he kind of makes a lot of interesting decisions, questionable decisions with the ball when he, <laughs> when he initiates and play makes, but he is a good athlete. And I think, Oh, and the other thing I think of his physical tools, he doesn't have the best wingspan. Um, so his defensive upside is a little limited, but Definitely the best shooter out of all the names I think that we've mentioned so far. Um, what was and, his name? I like shooting. Yeah, Mathurin. <laughs> so Matt. How do you spell e- that? 
it's like math u-r-i-n yeah okay he's french isn't he i think i think so i think uh, you're right. well the last the last french guy killian hayes has not not uh, acquitted himself too well so mm-hmm. well speaking of frenchmen there is one more sleeper prospect that i really like and chris is actually very against him and that's Usman Dieng, another Frenchman, super tall, super lanky, also a bricklayer, but great playmaker, great pick and roll initiator. And he's like a 6'10, um, skinny, wiry, 19 year old kid, but a player who could develop into a true point forward. Um, which is something the Cavs, I think, have been looking for since LeBron James left. So those are kind of my guys in addition to Chris's guys. I think I think I agree with all Chris's guys as well, but those are kind of just some other names that I really like in this draft. Um, interesting enough, going back to the mouthpiece of the Cavs, there were a couple other names on that list that he mentioned, which were like Tari Eason. Um, obviously, Akbaji is the most prevalent name because he checks some of the boxes, but um, Tari Eason is an interesting. Yeah. I was just going to say that's, that's if you want to say there was a guy who I would want to take the, 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 to me, the boomer bust guy is Tari Eason. Uh, Wouldn't you say Eli? I I feel like that's the most intriguing guy possibly. Yeah. uh, Um, He intrigued me a lot actually. Um, as well, too, because he's kind of miscast. He's playing a lot of four and five for LSU, but he shot. And LSU was a the... shit show. Let's let's yeah. let's also get that out of the way. Like they, this is so, to kind of shed light on. Sorry to interrupt, but just kind of shed light on the LSU situation. Tari Eason was by far and away their best freaking player on that roster, and he came off the bench for this coach that just got fired. And I think the coach just got fired because wasn't he doing something criminal? <laughs> I don't, I, I mean like something crazy happened at LSU this season where I think almost everybody's transferring and the coach got fired. So it was an absolute crap show in, uh, down in Louisiana. I love it. I love when you come with the thunder. <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, no. I mean, it's just it's wild. If if you guys, yeah. if anybody out there who so, loves so, lurid yeah. stuff, yeah, go go check out the LSU. Keep, keep bringing it on Atari Eason here. I, I like him a lot too. He he actually played at Cincinnati the year before and uh, transferred for to obviously play for a bigger program. But he um, he was a plus shooter this year, even though he played center mostly. Shot 80% from the free throw line, so his touch and mechanics are there. Shot 34, 35% from three, and he's like a 6'8 guy. So he definitely. Color me intrigued. Yeah, definitely. He's he's got NBA body. He's got an NBA ready body, like today. (laughs) He's 230. He's in the twos. I'm like, all these other guys we mentioned, I think, are less than 200 pounds even though they're like six like the french guy diang might yeah, be a plus 90 he, seven feet he's uh he's pretty wiry i mean he's not pokusevsky but he he's pretty wiry yeah so yeah the big thing for me with eason besides the shooting is if you look at his steal rate and block rate 
it is absolutely insane. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, that was my, that was my go-to on Matisse Teibel and, yeah, it, it, uh, and Brandon point, Clark. And both yeah. of those guys have acquitted themselves well in the league. So Yeah, it's it, he had a 4% steal rate and 6% block rate as a 6'8 guy in the SEC. You nice. know, like th- this is the most athletic conference. You know, he's playing against legit competition. And he is just dominating them physically. Um, that's that was the whole intrigue for me, and just the the whole conundrum about him is why the hell was he coming off the bench? Is the mystery like like basically everybody doesn't know why he's not like a top five guy. There's just some mystery about him about why somehow. I mean, like yeah, you could point to his age. I guess you know he's a 21 year old prospect. Um, so, you know, he's, that's working against him, you know, but he's not, you know, he's not a super senior or anything like that. He's not 23, 24 years old Yeah, and and just no one can figure out why he's ranked so low. He just put up monster stats. I'm, I'm in totally intrigued now. These are the, (laughs) these are the, um, the guys that get me out of bed. I mean, you know. I I love I love a good sleeper as much as the next guy. So, I mean, I'm one of my all time favorites. You know, I'm I I was big on Jalen Brunson coming out. I was big on Rechon Holmes. You know, I love these guys that are kind of statistical outliers. And you're like, well, why are they sitting there? Like nobody's talking. Jay Crowder was another one. Why is nobody talking about these guys? Um, the, those are the guys I love in the teens and twenties. Like, give me those guys. So, this guy's um, for you, man. This guy's for he you. Is. Yeah. And don't give me no soft as hell Euro that can't do nothing like <laughs> Sergey Karasev. Oh no, so, we're doing Euro racism now. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, it, no, no this is not joking, Euro joking. racism. It's more about how much I hated Sergey Karasev as a draft pick. <laughs> I got no problem with Euros, man. <laughs> no, I'm I so one of the guys I like and this is totally because I saw five minutes of him, and I really like his name, and that's um, the Jover, um, Nikola uh, Jovovich, or is it uh, oh, Jovich? Jovich, Jovich, yeah. Um, <laughs> who is like a the six nine wing from uh, Serbia, and I'm like, I he's Serbian. His nickname would be the Jover. That's all I need to know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's my guy. So that tells you how much draft research I've done this year. Uh, anyway, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. I'm Nate Smith here with uh, my boys, Eli Kim and Chris Francis. And I know, Eli, you're you're hot to uh, lay some, uh, some deep draft knowledge on me with uh, the Cavs' second-round pick, which I believe is San Antonio's. Is that correct? Correct. And also Miami's, which I think is 58th, 59th. Oh, okay. Yes. So who, so who would I got, you take? I got three names for you, and they're all, they're, they all have a little connection with me. Um, so the one guy, there's two, two guys. How many of them play for Wake Forest? So two of them play for Wake Forest. <laughs> and uh, 
So one of them is Alondis Williams, who was the ACC Player of the Year. He averaged like 18 points, five rebounds, five assists. The ultimate college combo guard, not a super great athlete, but just knows how to make winning plays. Um, uh, yeah, a transfer uh, guy Jalen Brunson, if you will. <laughs> but he does have a little bit more size. He has a little functionality. He, I think he's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so... A, nice. The ultimate combo guard in college. Um, definitely would be intrigued to take a late, you know, late second round pick flyer on him. Another, the other Wake Forest guy is a Ford who transferred from Indiana State. And he is a big body, but kind of a point forward. Brought the ball up for the Deeks, Jake Laravia. And he shot like 40% from three. Um, not an athlete at all. Kind of reminds me of uh, like Henry Ellison a little bit. Do you guys remember him? He was supposed to be like the next Kevin Love, but he was just even less athletic than Kevin Love. <laughs> um, but I think this LaRavia kid is a little bit better athlete than that and definitely shoots and plays really smart. Um, not the best athlete, but knows his way around the rim and, um, like I said, was able to distribute i think he averaged like four assists a game um which is pretty hard to do when you're the biggest player on the uh, for your team most of the time and then last but not least not a way for sky but a great shooter super limited athletically but a fellow countryman of mine hyunjun lee uh from davidson oh. college uh i believe he was the only player to have more than 10 points a game and be in the 50, 40, 90 club last season. Um, so not, so 20 to 21 season. And then this and year, what's he play? He plays, he, he actually is like their power forward. Cause he's like six, seven, but in the NBA, he'd probably have to play more three. Um, Cause he's pretty thin. Um, but he shot his career, he shot 39.7% from three, and he took five to six three-pointers per game. So I, I definitely, like a, definitely a plus shooter. Um, and if there is some intrigue, and this is just a little personal uh, thing, if I were to think that the first career NBA player uh, drafted, or I guess he wouldn't be the first, but um, the first non-center Korean player to get drafted. I would think it'd be a kid who like grew up in the U S you know, played, uh, was Americanized, played all his hoops, you know, had a different swagger with a chip on his shoulder. Cause he had to go through the streets of America to be in the NBA. This guy a, a is the exact enchanting fry, if you will, <laughs> <laughs> but this guy is the exact opposite. He, uh, came, he grew up in Korea son of two uh, Korean basketball players, has a bowl cut, barely speaks English, um, still uses a translator, oh, has I am, no swagger. I am so here for this. <laughs> has no swagger, wears a T-shirt under his jersey. Um, that's, that's the guy who might be the first non-center Korean drafted. So that's a player definitely that I would like to target with the last pick if the Cavs were to make that pick because he is a plus shooter. So uh, I'm a hundred percent on board with, uh, and forgive the term, the Manchurian candidate here. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm, 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 I'm excited by this prospect. I want it to happen. 
I, I feel yeah. like we need to speak this into existence. And at the very least, give Elijah Kim a reason to come to G League games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, CTB exclusive. First well, oh, multilingual, yeah. you know? Like oh, multilingual podcast. You know? we, we got, oh, my we God. Got. You know what would be the best? Eli, you ahead. speak Korean. Yeah. Oh, man. We need a Korean CTB podcast. That'd be so <laughs> awesome where you, where you interview him. That'd be the best. Oh, I man. would pay so much money for that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man, I'm I'm excited. What's his name again? Hyun Jung Lee. Yeah, we will spell that out in the uh, recap because <laughs> I don't know how to spell that. So. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm very excited by this prospect. Well, and and because, you know, you know, I went to high school with many, many Koreans and I uh, had many, many Korean friends growing up in Anchorage, Alaska. So a very large Korean presence in Anchorage, Alaska. So I I stand the whole the whole peninsula. So I'm, <laughs> nice. I'm excited Such about a- this. So um, very cool. So I'm going to ask you guys one more question. Well, unless, uh, Mr. Francis, you have any second rounders you want to lay on me? I'll give you one name, and it's only because I'm excited about him personally. In the same vein of shooter slash playmaker is a guy who performed very well in the championship game, and his he goes by the name of Christian Braun, uh, Brown, uh, even though it's spelled Braun. He said it's pronounced it Brown. Uh, Kansas. Uh, wing for Kansas. He was the guy, you know, I here's my hot take is that Christian Braun will be a better pro than O'Shea Ojibi. That's my hot take. Um, but somehow is ranked 32 on the consensus board. Um, but I truly believe that he has the potential to be better. So and I think and I expect him to be better. So that's a name to keep out for, especially at the top of the second round. Nice. Well, um, and with that, I will ask you guys a follow-up question. Um, if there was a trade that the Cavs could make on draft night, um, well, okay. First, I'm going to ask you, if the Cavs get a top four pick, who do you want? This is just a friendly reminder that this episode of Cavs, a podcast, is sponsored by PreciousOnesMinistries.org and our drive to save the school in Uganda and please uh, click on any of the appropriate links or go directly to preciousonesministries.org and donate and help us save a school in Uganda that needs our help. So go Cats. Just anybody in the top four. Uh, I won't say where it is. I don't want to be greedy. I'd take the fourth. Um, and I don't think there's a consensus number one right now, is there? It, it's fluctuating. Yes. So, so yeah. yeah, I mean, and I think it really been, depends on who's there. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, mean, I think a, there's a, I think there's a top it, four though this year. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So if the Cavs were to get a top four pick, uh, Eli, who would you want? I think it's a no brainer for me. It's Jabari Smith. Um, he's a six ten super athlete plays power forward for Auburn, but shot 42% from three. And eighty percent from the free throw line, uh, the he could be like a he would fit like the mark and roll better, but be a plus athlete. That's what, nice. and that's exactly what the Cavs will need. So, yeah, and that's uh, would he who play I would the take. he'd play the three for them? You think? Yeah, he would play the three for the Cavs for sure. Nice. Uh, what about you, Chris? 
I'm I'm in total agreement. I think Jabari Smith is the number one prospect in this draft. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Paolo because I think his playmaking is better. But I don't. I think we're good on playmaking as far as Garland's concerned in the starting lineup. And and I think you know I think Mobley's playmaking is going to develop. I think Jabari Smith's playmaking can develop. And and also. To for uh, with Jabari Smith, I think he plays like a perimeter player, a la marketing. I it's crazy that you know he literally could come in, maintain our tower city, and be better than pot. You know, the ceiling would be just sky high with a guy like that at the three. So yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board. Agree with uh, Eli there. Uh, Jabari Smith, I think is to me, he's the consensus number one. And I'm just going to, because I like his name, Paolo Banchero, <laughs> uh, but also because I feel like there's um, a real role for a backup big on this team. Um, and, you know, a Paolo, uh, Markinen, uh Mobley, and Allen, you know, kind of top four, that, that that's pretty devastating. So I I would be intrigued by that. So, and with that, huh? I was like, thank you, thank you. Let's go, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, I just like his name. This is the least I've followed. <laughs> I, I I'm not drafting a guy named Ty Ty. Let's just put it that way. I think that's a <laughs> Ooh, dumb name. I don't fired. draft people with stupid names. <laughs> 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 yeah, which is why I kind of don't like Chet Holmgren because I feel like he's just, you know, uh I now I'm now I'm not now I'm actually going to support you. Now now I <laughs> now I've seen the light about this strategy here and I support you because that is the correct conclusion in my opinion. Nice. Um so next up, if there was a trade to make on draft night, um to get an established NBA player involving the Cavs, obviously they would draft the player and then have to trade him. You can trade anybody else on the roster that's not named Mobley, Allen, or Garland. Um, what would that trade be? Go, Eli. Yeah, I mean, it, it'd probably be for uh, Murray. Even uh, I think the clutch connection actually might help in this case, especially if Popovich retires. I think... The goal of Clutch would be to get a, one of their best clients out of a rebuilding situation. Um, ironically, I think the Cavs would have to send Sexton back, though, in my proposal. But I think the deal framework, which you already shot down on Twitter, unfortunately, but uh, I think it'd be <laughs> something like Sexton, Osman, and uh, maybe a Coro. Um, and a couple first round picks for Murray and Doug McDermott's bad contract uh, back. So I'm, I'm I think, on board. I think obviously I think San Antonio hangs up, especially if Popovich is coming back. But if he's uh, if he's there, if he retires, I don't know. I feel like the Spurs you, really don't have any incentive to keep him. So. Is is have we heard one way or the other? Has there been any rumors on Pop? Everyone was assuming he was just staying to get the all time wins record, which he did accomplish. Um, but I don't think anything's been formally said or anything. 
Yeah. In fact, he blasted the reporter who asked. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I think, yeah, I don't think it doesn't sound like he's leaving. So that, that's I don't think just, he's leaving. I, yeah. Everything I heard said he wants to, he's having fun. Um, I don't know what he'd do with himself if he didn't coach. So Right. <laughs> I, no, I, I think the agree. only issue is that there's some rumblings that some of these teams that need a coach might throw a buttload of money and some, you know, maybe some future draft compensation at the Spurs to get him. Uh, a cough, cough, Lakers, although I don't think that actually – I don't think uh, the Lakers actually want to be coached, but well, no, um, they said I, I, you kind of, you kind of zagged on me because I thought you were going. There had been rumors, like part of the pop retirement rumors, in part was Jay Wright, uh, the Villanova head coach, uh, just recently announced his retirement. He had been rumored uh, as the successor to Pop down in San Antonio, so. Um, there's a rumor about Jay Wright, and uh, that's who I thought you were going to say. Uh, I would assume Jay Wright's going to be a hot commodity uh, for a, a team that wants to try something new at coaching. Uh, do, you, so. do you really think Jay Wright's going to go to the NBA? I hadn't even heard that. Uh, he didn't shoot it down at his retirement press conference. So he, he said that it was a possibility that he wanted a break. He, he wanted a break immediately after uh, retirement, but that he couldn't, that he's thought about it. And what fueled his desire actually to think about it was team USA. He was an assistant coach. That's, that's the connection with pop is that he's been an assistant with team USA for a long time, uh, and has interacted with NBA players and now kind of, you know, caught the bug that way. Interesting. I don't, I, so do you think that would be if pop retired or if he went somewhere else? I think that's a pop retirement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I think there's a remote chance pop goes somewhere else, but I like I can't see pop wanting to deal with the LA situation. That just sent I I think he would kick um, you know, Bad Earth Rob Lowe and the Jimmies. <laughs> Uh, just, I don't even know how he'd put up with that situation. So I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, so we got Eli's DeJounte Murray. What about you, Chris Francis? If I'm, yeah, if I'm trading, I think the target would be Bradley Beal for me. Um, I think that's probably more realistic because I think that. Oh, I don't think that's realistic at all, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the East is strong. I don't see Washington being a part of the equation of contending uh, and they've got it. They're up to pay uh, Beal some big bucks and have to make a decision. Um, the, the, and the reason why I think it could work is because uh, Beal is a friend of Darius Garland. Uh, I believe uh, Garland came up through uh, his teams or camps or something. So there's a connection. There's a prior connection with him and, uh, Darius Garland. And also uh, his playmaking took a leap. And so that's intriguing. And I, you know, to me with Beal, you know, he's a guy who can get himself a bucket. He can play make. He's, he's just going to, he basically is Sexton, but actually good. So, you know, that, that's my take on why you would go get Beal. 
So, so my guy is uh, Harrison Barnes, um, and the main reason around that is because the Kings are so dumb that you could maybe talk them into anything. So, um, I would love to see Harrison Barnes in the Cavs uni, a guy who's just an absolute knockdown shooter who who can also isolate, is also a pretty good defender. Um, excels as a secondary and tertiary scorer. Um, I, I think Harrison Barnes would just be an absolute, I, the Cavs are a contender in the East. If they get Harrison Barnes and they replace Kevin Love's minutes with Harrison Barnes and probably being marking in off the bench. I mean, that to me is a really good basketball team. So, uh, that, that'd be the one that I'd be really excited with. Uh, you know, maybe a Sexton and that pick for a Harrison Barnes. Um, or, uh, who, who's the, the other guy that's intriguing a little bit is Darren Fox. Uh, although I think his contract is definitely a lot higher than his productivity right now, but, if he has a bounce back year, he could be a very interesting player, although you would have a lot of money tied up in your backcourt if you're the Cavs. So that's mine. What about what about Donovan Mitchell? Any strong takes there? I so I tweeted this today. I think the problem with Donovan Mitchell is that he is in the limelight, man. He lo- he loves Donovan Mitchell's favorite player is Donovan Mitchell. And um, he certainly strikes me as a guy who plays like an all-star that loses in the first round every year right now. And uh, I, to me, that guy is a Knicks player. <laughs> I, I don't love him. I actually like the shooting around him on Utah more than him. Uh, I, I would be very intrigued by Bogdanovich. Uh, from Utah and also a Royce O'Neal who can shoot and foul the crap out of people. And I actually think the Cavs have a legitimate need for a guy that can foul the snot out of people um, because they lack some toughness and lack some, they need a goon, you know, and they don't have one. Uh, everybody on the Cavs is too nice to win playoff games. So it's, especially now that Delhi's gone. So it's, that that's something that would intrigue me, but I just don't think Mitchell. I think if the Jazz move Mitchell, it's gonna be to a big market. I I don't is Mitchell isn't a clutch guy, is he? No, no. I, don't, I don't know. About yeah, that. I think if he was a clutch guy, maybe, but I think I think Mitchell it would be gunning for uh like a a Knicks situation. So anyway, no, I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board. I mean, if they can swing it, do it because he's a star and we need star guards, um, to complement our awesome big. So, uh, you know, but I will, I will agree with Nate in terms of, um, I, to me, what Nate's articulating is, is he a dog? Is he, is he a junkyard dog type personality? That's what I wonder about Donovan Mitchell. Is is he going to be a dog? Well, and, and is, is, you know, is he, as you said, does he fit that core uh, intangible thing for the Cavs where he's all about basketball? And I really don't feel like that's the case with him right now. Just from watching his body language, watching the way he plays defense, 
I mean, you know, Sexton's issue is not that he doesn't compete. It's just that he gets lost on defense. Um, Donovan Mitchell's issue is that he doesn't compete, you know, on defense. <sighs> Fine. Yeah, no, well, it's, I mean, it's fair. No, it's totally he, who fair. Who did he get roasted by the other night that I was like, um, it was somebody off the bench and it was like a deep bench guy. And I was like, he's just not even contesting shots. And earlier in his career, he was a guy that was a little overly athletic on defense. And now he just doesn't even seem to try. So I think that team has major chemistry problems, but you know, the guy that bought the team is the guy that gave Rudy the big uh, contract extension. So my guess is if they move somebody, it's Mitchell, but who knows? Ooh, you really? Wow. That's a surprise. I, well, the other thing is I think it's really hard to move Rudy. That contract's enormous. Right. And right. He got exposed this playoffs. I mean, past couple playoffs. To well, right? I think the way they built that team around Rudy maybe doesn't make a ton of sense. I mean, you almost like maybe if you're playing a guy like Rudy, you build a slow down, walk it up, grind it out team instead of a guy that cranks a lot of threes or a team that cranks a lot of threes. I don't know. No, they, I mean, they total they have no perimeter defenders worth of crap. So they definitely built it to funnel everybody to Rudy. They did, they built it so that there's nobody that's going to stop anybody till they get to Rudy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Eli, uh what what you're the one that baited me there. Do you need any rebuttal? No, I just think that Rudy is a player that is great in the regular season, but in the playoffs He's just been he's been neutralized a lot, R- routinely you know, exposed. Yeah, and in a weird way, I think um, I think you were on this train, but he was a big buy low candidate. But now with Jared Allen's emergence, Mobley drafting Mobley and having Market, and I don't think there's any way he'd fit on the Cavs. Um, and Chris and I actually debated about this, but I think I'd rather have Jared Allen than. Uh, Rudy Gobert for the next four years. You I think we both agreed on that. Jared Allen. Yeah. Allen and Mobley can switch. Uh, you have to play drop coverage with Gobert, and he hasn't proven that he's great at it, and he clogs up the lane on offense. Whereas yep. A total Allen, zero, yep. Jared exactly. Allen is a guy you can play in the short role. Uh, same thing with Mobley. It's... Gobert just isn't a good enough passer and isn't good enough with the ball to be in a short roll situation. Um, So you pretty much can only play him in the dunker spot or, you know, in that roll and dunk situation. So he's definitely become more problematic as an NBA big. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I just had to throw that name out there because I feel like a lot of people on the timeline have been saying Donovan Mitchell in a Sexton trade. And I think Donovan Mitchell is a better player. I think most most of that is because of his defense. Um, he actually plays defense, has a better frame and body for it than Sexton does. But I am a little worried. He actually is a little bit more prima donna than Sexton. Um in my opinion as well. So I think, I think it'd be a pass for me um, on Mitchell as well. And I'd, I'd much rather go for DeJunta Murray or Harrison Barnes, 
or even Bradley Beal. Um, I'd rather target those three guys over Mitchell for sure. And the other side of that being is Mitchell is a star that is in his prime. He's only 25 and his contract is not crazy given his production and given where the NBA uh, salary cap is going in the next four or five years. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I just think you've got to put him with a coach and a culture that, isn't going to enable his worst tendencies. So. Well, we know he won't hate. He won't have a, a, a legitimate hatred towards his center that he does that, that he does. <laughs> so, yeah. And with that, uh, this is, this has been a long one. So I'm, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you guys got anything to pitch? I, uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on to you guys. Uh, well, oh, I will. Well, okay, I'm gonna break the curse right now. I'm pitching the draft preview article. I'll, oh, I'll pitch man. it. And it's, yeah, why are you gonna doing happen? this? You're gonna get um, hit by I'm, a bus tomorrow. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you're already making me regret it. I'm instant. This is instant regret. But yeah, instant I'm going on gonna get you in the words <laughs> of uh, John Lennon. But that's that's what's up. That's what I got. Nice, Eli. What do you got to pitch? Oh man, I think I want to pitch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have anything right now. Oh, um, I'm going to pitch my sister. Um, ah, nice. My sister wrapped up her collegiate golf career. Um, a bittersweet weekend for the Kim family. We all went. But my sister, uh, in case any of our listeners are still listening, uh, my sister plays Division One golf at a Mac school, and she testicle won. you. <laughs> she won. Um, sorry, Ball yeah, State yeah, Ball State, those, Ball State. Those of you yeah. that uh, are um, as crass she, as I am, but she won a, a Sportswoman of the Year award for the second year in a row, and I believe she is the only two-time winner of that award. Um, so that's freaking awesome. And uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome because it's only voted by the players, and you can't vote for yourself, and your teammates can't vote for you. So, oh, wow. definitely, definitely very blessed that you know she was able to win that award twice. Um, and yeah, um, she probably will end up being a second or third team performer too, but that comes out next week. We'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, just golf was a. Uh, great thing for my family it kind of let us have you know four and a half five years of following her around and watching her play so just want to throw a shout out to my sister for wrapping up her collegiate career and she's actually going to stick around with the game she's going to work for the lpga tour not as a player but on the tour operation side so just thought i'd Shout her out on this. That's all. Awesome, I doubt. Dude. I doubt she'll hear listen to this, but maybe I'll just send her the snippet. You or should something. send her the clip for sure. And yeah, we're super proud uh, of you and and her. And uh, we, we, I'm, 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 I'm getting a little misty. I, I have a soft spot for sisters, so uh, I, <laughs> I have a sister that I'm very fond of as well. So that's awesome, Eli. I'm, I'm super happy for you. And, and for me. My pitch, uh, I actually have a two-part pitch. 
Um, the first pitch is I'm going to put some information about this within the live thread and also with I'm going to I'm going to break the curse, too. I'm going to get an article coming up, but uh, just kind of a season nice. retrospective. But uh, I'm actually going to pitch a charity that my cousin runs that I've uh actually committed to try and help uh, keep the charity going. Uh, she actually works with a charity for a school uh, for young uh, African women in Uganda. Uh, and it's called Precious Ones. Um, and actually where it started was um, they actually taught uh, these women to sew their own uh, sanitary napkins for when they got periods because a lot of uh, these women, when they would start getting periods, would actually end up dropping out of school and not continuing school. So they started with this and then they started a school uh, for these women. Um, and like it, they're just it, it, if there was a charity that you could uh, give to that, it's like, you know, these people definitely absolutely need it and you are doing good to give to it. Uh, it's this one. It's called Precious Ones. Um, I'm going to put the link on how to donate and everything in the uh, podcast link. Um, and it's just, you know, if you ever had a uh, desire to support, you know, Cavs a blog or, you know, re repay any of these guys for the work they've done, I would appreciate you considering, you know, donating to this because it's just absolutely a labor of love. We're trying to keep the school open, you know, just, you know, a bunch of people that you've never met uh, that need your help to try and uh, make their lives better and keep a school going in Uganda. Uh, that's what I'm pitching. So and um, and I'm just going to I'm not even going to give my second pitch because it, it feels very trite compared to that. So. I just want to thank my uh, cousin, Alanda, who is kind of the American correspondent to uh, and, and runs the stateside part of this charity. Um, and uh, then I believe the uh, the Ugandan director, her name is Shari. Um, and uh, just want a big shout out to them. So that is what I'm pitching uh, this week, and uh, I'll, I'll put the link uh, if you're willing to donate. Uh, we're trying to basically fund them for the rest of the year um, and keep their funding on solid footing going forward because they were kind of in danger of closing for a while. So that is my pitch for this week. Um, so, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that is badass. We love it. Yeah. Love to yeah. hear it. Yeah, well, and absolutely. I mean, this is – you know, this is what we're all about here. And, you know, one of the things I love about the NBA is that, um, you know, the, these are the kinds of things we pitch and, and we're, we're all about giving back and, and building a better world. So, so cool. Uh, and I don't have anything to add. You guys got anything to add? Absolutely. Go Cavs. Go right? Cavs. <laughs> uh, Go Cavs. And, and yeah, the draft lottery is coming up in a couple weeks and then we'll uh, yes. we'll uh, we'll be back with some summer league <laughs> ostensibly after that. But, um, but we're going to keep it going. Uh, you know, hopefully hopefully get a pot out at least every other week. Uh, and uh, as always, go Cavs. 
Go Cavs, baby. Go Cavs. And with that, we're going to be right back. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.